0: The proclamation of God's word can be found on page seven of your worship folder. This morning's sermon text reading comes from Nehemiah chapter 12, verses 27 through 30, and Psalm 96. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving and with singing. With cymbals, harps, and lyres, and the sons of the singers gathered together from the district surrounding Jerusalem, and from the villages of the Nedophathites, also from Beth Gilgal, and from the region of Geba and Asmaveth, for the singers had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem. And the praises—sorry—and oh, the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the wall O oh, sing to the lord a new song sing to the lord all the earth sing to the lord bless his name tell of his salvation from day to day declare his glory among the nations his marvelous works among all the peoples for great is the lord and greatly to be praised for he is to be feared above all gods for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established, it shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exalt and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Thank you, Catherine. We are continuing this mini-series on the why and how of Sunday morning worship. And the very first sermon from a few weeks ago was a big overview of what happens every single Sunday morning. And we learned that God meets with us in the context of a covenant renewal ceremony. Or we might say, in more modern terms, that we come to church to have our personal relationship with God strengthened. That for 90 minutes, a little bit of heaven breaks into our lives. And so that's the big picture of not just what this sermon series is about, but the big picture of why do we come to church on Sunday morning. And then in the following weeks, we're going to be looking at the various elements of the service, and all these different elements serve that greater purpose of covenant renewal. So, two weeks ago, we saw that in this covenant renewal service, which is a dialogue, God's talking to us, and we talk back, we learned that the most important voice in this service is God's voice. It's His Word, God's Word is His power, and His Word both calls us to come, and as we come to Him, His Word actually strengthens us. You know, one of the errors that many conservative churches often make is they treat Sunday morning as a lecture, that a pastor should get up and should just pass along some good information that God wants us to know. Now, that, that's true. We want this to be informative. We we want to learn. We want to grow. God wants to teach us some things in His Word, but it is far more than just a lecture. God's Word is His power. God's Word is His power to create and sustain life in us, that as we are actually hearing from God, we are not just taking information, but we are actually growing in His grace. So, a worship service begins with God's Word, is sustained by God's Word, and God has the final word at the very end at the benediction. God's voice is by far the most important voice every single Sunday morning. But this service is not one-sided. Remember, we are in a divine dialogue. We might say we are in a covenant conversation with God. And so, it would make sense if this relationship between God and us is to be strengthened, that our voice plays a role as well, that as God speaks to us, that we need to respond back to Him. So, in the order of worship, and this is what we did this morning, this is what we do every single morning when we gather, God speaks in the call to worship, we pray, and then we respond to Him with singing. And so that is going to be our topic for this morning. Why do we sing every Sunday morning? You know, it's one of those things that, especially if you have been around the church for a while, you just sort of take for granted, of of course we sing. When you think of a church service or even some of your fondest church memories, my guess is likely you think of singing or you think of a special song that was meaningful to you in a service. Many people even use the word worship as being synonymous with just singing. So, singing is very important for Christianity. What has sadly happened, at least over the past 30 years, is that singing has become so important in a sense, in a wrong sense, that it's actually dividing many churches. And so, the big debate now is... Does your church have contemporary songs or traditional songs? Are you relevant or are you old? And so many churches are actually dividing over these lines. Ted Powers, last week, gave us a very helpful reminder that we are united in the gospel, that we are to be together for the gospel, united by Christ and His blood as we are sent on mission into the world, but sadly. Many churches today are not united over the blood of Jesus, but are actually united over a song, style. It's not helpful at all. So, one of the things we do here at Redeemer is our first question is not, should we just be old and traditional, or should we be new and relevant? Because our understanding of what is happening in the context of worship, it's, it's, it's far bigger than just asking those simple kinds of questions. So what we want to do is we want to, we want to step back and we want to first ask, what is the role of singing in the first place? And once you figure that out, some of these other things are going to fall into place. So our approach for this sermon series, this is what we have done every week. My guess is this is what we will do every week coming forward is that we begin the sermon with just a few theological principles for why we do what we do. Again, we we want you to be informed. We want you to have reasons. So if somebody would ask you, you know, why does Redeemer sing like that? Or why does Redeemer have so much Scripture reading That, that you would have the actual reasons for why we do what we do. But the main goal for this sermon series is not just that you would be informed that you would actually be moved in your heart, so that you would come to church, and you would see church as an opportunity for you to be healed in our lives that are so stress-filled, and our lives that are so sad and depressing and broken, that we would see Sunday morning as a real privilege that God has given us for 90 minutes an opportunity to escape this very hard life this very hard world in which we live, and for 90 minutes we would get to experience something of eternal joy. And so that is how we are going to end. But we are going to begin with a a bit of the practicals. Why do we sing the way we do here at Redeemer? We're going to start theologically. I have three C's for you, three C's that go into the type of music that we sing here at Redeemer. The three C's, we want music that is clear, we want music that is Christ-centered, and we want music that is congregational. Three C's, we'll start with the first one, clear. We want to be clear. When picking songs in the context of what goes into a worship service, we want to pick songs that have clear meaning. So as, as you look at your bulletin and you're singing the words that are in front of you, it is very clear what you are speaking to God. There was a, a worship song I think it's about 10, 15 years old. And college students back when I was a campus ministry pastor, college students loved this song. and so we would go to different conferences and retreats, and they would turn down the lights, and they would start to play the song, and people would raise their hands. And what are the final verses? For this song went, so heaven meets earth, like a sloppy wet kiss. And my heart turns violently inside of my chest. I don't have time to maintain these regrets. I just always thought, what are we singing here? Sloppy wet kiss, that just sounds really gross. And how does heaven meet earth like this sloppy wet kiss? And then we would get to the chorus. The chorus was very meaningful and very theologically rich. The chorus went, yeah, 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 yeah. He loves us. Twelve yeahs into that chorus, and the whole time I just thought, I'm not quite sure if I'm singing to the risen Christ, the Lamb who was slain, or I'm not sure if we just got." A note from a cheerleader that is singing about her high school boyfriend. I, I, I'm just not quite sure who I'm singing to in this song. About kisses and yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, one, one of the goals of being an artist or being a musician is that you're often trying to push the bounds of contemporary culture to find beauty and meaning in new places. I, I've shared this story before, but a few years ago, when I first moved to Detroit, did a, a little Bible study with some guys that were students at the College for Creative Studies. And these guys are cool. They're, they're artists. They're into different sculptures and pictures. And for a guy like me that's a, a Presbyterian pastor, I'm a, a linear thinker, so, that, so this is very good. They, they would stretch me in some really good ways, and they would show me very abstract pictures of art. And I remember one of these pictures. It was a, a picture of a, an empty room. And in the corner of this room was tinfoil that was crumpled up. I'm supposed to, you know, look and find meaning in this, this, this tinfoil. It's, it's abstract. It's beautiful. And there, there's something hidden there. And I promise you, I, I, I tried really hard. And I, I wanted to see the beauty, and I'm sure that there was something there. But, but for an average guy like me, I just saw tinfoil. And there, there is a time for that kind of art. And there is a kind for uh, time for, for music that, that is very creative and very abstract. Perhaps more than any other field, and I genuinely, genuinely mean this, more than any other field, perhaps we need more Christians that are going into music and going into the arts and are able to bring Christ into that culture. But on Sunday morning, when average people like me come to worship, Sunday morning is not a time to be overly artsy, it is not a time to be overly abstract. We certainly want excellence, we want, we want God to get our best, and so we want preparation, we want musicians that are excellent, we want to challenge our musicians to, to give it their all and to honor God and even to get better at their craft, and we also want language that is very clear. We want to use normal words with explicit meanings that communicate specific truths about our relationship with God. There's all sorts of worship songs that are are excellent. Some of the best worship songs are are very simple. This is the the, the beauty of the spirituals tradition. These are very simple songs, but they're very meaningful and would be repeated over and over. There's other songs that are longer and you don't repeat. Think of A Mighty Fortress Is Our God by Martin Luther, different verses with different themes. And so a good song can be short, a good song can be long, it can be fast, it can be slow, but no matter what, we want the gospel to be clear in it. And We certainly recognize that good music is culturally conditioned. And so. A Western hymn is probably not going to make very much sense in an African village. Culture matters as we are picking songs. But even more than the culture, what matters the most is that the gospel would be clear. And So in whatever culture you are, we want to find songs that are clear with the lyrics. So That's principle number one, the first C. We want to be clear. Number two, we want to be Christ-centered. As we come together each Sunday morning, we are coming to have our relationship to God renewed. This is a covenant renewal service, and the covenant finds its climax in the new covenant, which is the gospel. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ on the cross. Every Sunday morning is to be a gospel service. We want to focus on what Jesus has done. You know, so many of these contemporary songs are about, you know, I lift my hands up to you, and I worship you, and I'm coming to you, and I love you so much, Jesus. But the gospel is not that we loved Him first, but that He loved us first. And So, we want songs that are robust and center on Jesus and the new covenant, this covenant of grace that has been given to us. So we want songs that are Christ-centered. We will come back to that point later in the service. The third and final C is that we want to pick music that is congregational, songs that everyone is able to sing. Now, here at Redeemer, we have some very gifted musicians. from day one, when Pastor Dan first called me up and said, hey, come down to Redeemer, check us out, consider moving to Detroit, one of the very first things that I noticed when I first came to one of Redeemer's services was just how well done the music is. I mean, it's been a priority from day one. It's a priority that still exists today. Kyle and Rachel and their, their abilities and the rest of the musicians and vocalists, I'll put our musicians up with any other church throughout the state of Michigan. I just don't think you can beat what we have. But even still, even with our our, our gifted musicians, we don't want to primarily hear them on Sunday morning. We want to fill this room with our voices. The congregation is coming to worship, not just people on a stage. Turn with me real quick to Colossians 316. If you have a phone with a Bible app, you can take it out and look there. If you're more old-fashioned, you have a pew Bible right in front of you, and so you can take that out. Colossians 316, it's found on page 984 of your pew Bible. This of course is Paul writing to the Colossians, and from this one verse we get a lot of information for what goes into singing. Paul says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So, from that one verse, we we see that we should sing different types of songs. We should sing the psalms. We should sing hymns. We should sing spiritual songs. And that's Generally, what we do here at Redeemer, we we try and mix it up with different varieties and different types of songs, but more importantly, notice that when we sing together, that when we sing as a congregation, we are actually teaching and admonishing one another. So you might might ask, well, how does that work? When I am singing at church, how, how am I teaching somebody? How am I admonishing someone else? here's how. This room right now is filled with a variety of different types of people. Some of you have just, I don't know, a wonderful season. You've you've had a great week. Your job's going well. Your family's doing well. you, You are feeling very blessed. And many others in this room have had terrible weeks. Thinking of the recent miscarriages, thinking of those that are struggling with cancer, those that are just struggling with disappointment, those that are waiting on the Lord. Some of you are older, some of you are younger. Some of you have been Christians for just decades, almost your whole life. Some of you have been a Christian for just a couple months. Some of you are black and some of you are Asian and some of you are white. We are all very different people. We have different stories, we have different testimonies, and yet this morning we all sang together the very first song from Psalm 136 that the Lord is good and that his mercy is good for us. On a Sunday morning in the context of congregational singing, when you can hear somebody that is struggling singing that when you can hear a widow on Sunday morning sing that God's mercy is good. That, that, that blesses me. I'm sure it blesses you. When you can hear a young woman that is struggling with infertility and miscarriages, and, and she can confess that the Lord's mercy is good, our, our hearts are admonished by hearing her testimony in song. When I can hear a different friend who is had a great week, experiencing great blessing, and yet he is able to turn that blessing and give it back to God. Reminded that all good things do in fact come from God. When we hear one another, we are encouraged, and that is why we want you to sing. Because you have a testimony to share with everyone else. And when you are not singing, And when you are just mumbling, you are robbing others of hearing your testimony. We want to hear your voice testifying to God. It's also one of the reasons that we keep the lights on when we sing, because we, we want to see your face. When we see your face, again, we are reminded of your story and your testimony. Some of these New churches, they're they're so dark, you can't see anybody except for professionals that are on the stage. The music is so loud, you can't hear anybody except for those that are on the stage. And it's it's a concert, it's an emotional experience. I would much rather have the experience of seeing you and hearing you. My, My brothers, my sisters, I want to hear your voice with us together testifying to the Lord's faithfulness. This will, will not surprise you at all, but I have never received any formal training in singing. I am just not very good. When I, when I was younger, I just wasn't into piano or choir. I would much rather be playing sports. And so when I first became a Christian and I went to church and I was supposed to, to sing, I just didn't really like it. <laughs> and so I, I, I would mumble. I wouldn't sing out because I was very... Consumed, self-consumed with how bad I sounded. And now, I just, I don't really give a rip. I, I, I just want to sing. I, I do think I've gotten a little bit better. I don't know if practice makes perfect, but practice makes less bad. And so, I, so I, just over the years, I've gotten less bad. I'm not, I'm not great, but it's, there's a joy in just us all singing together. You, remember this. Nobody here this morning bought a ticket through Ticketmaster to come to Redeemer. This isn't Broadway. This isn't the Fox Theater. Nobody's paying for a show. You are here this morning because you want to be encouraged in the Lord. And one of the ways that we can help other people by being encouraged in the Lord is through singing. So, don't hold back, congregation. Let's just sing. So, those are the three C's. We want to pick music that is clear, we want to pick music that is Christ-centered, and we want to pick music that is congregational. So that's just why we pick what we do. And so, again, we want you to to know some things in your head, but even more importantly, we want you to now be gripped in your heart. Because here's the principle of singing, when you are moved in your heart by greatness— the overflow, the the consummation of being moved experientially, of being moved emotionally, always overflows into song. We read very quickly from Nehemiah chapter 12 this morning. I'm I'm not going to spend any time focusing on that. The reason we read from Nehemiah chapter 12 is that Nehemiah sort of been the banner book for this sermon series. And I just want you to see that in this covenant renewal service in Nehemiah, there was a lot of singing. So, there you go, from Nehemiah. The main text that we're going to focus on is Psalm 96. And when you look at Psalm 96, you'll notice in verses 1 and 2 that this psalm begins by commanding us to sing, to sing, and to sing three times. We are told to sing. Grammatically, if, if you really press into it, in Hebrew, the very first use of the word sing there in verse one, that's in the call verb form. And this is the Hebrew verb form for simple action, it's the simplest of the verbs. The second use of sing is in the same verb pattern. But the final use of sing, you see it in, in verse two is in the PL, which is a different verb form altogether, and is actually the verb form for intensive action. And so, the first two uses are a little bit more subtle. The, the third one is louder. And so, as you're reading this psalm, it would go something like, sing, sing, sing. That there's an actual crescendo in volume to this song. The contents of this song are to be new, because God is doing new things. We are to sing this new, increasingly louder song to God. God's doing new works, and so we should get louder and louder in our response to Him. A quick bit of context for this psalm. In 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 22, we read that the glory had departed from Israel, for the ark had been... Captured the ark was this this very elaborate container that contained the Ten Commandments, contained the actual tablets. And the Philistines came, they stole the ark, and the Philistines had taken the ark of the covenant back to their home. And what was even more disturbing is that the Philistines placed the ark of the covenant at the feet of their god, a cult god, who was named Dagon. So if you are an Israelite, this is a, just a, a devastating blow because it, it would feel as though your God has lost. I mean, the, the, the Ten Commandments are now sitting at the feet of a cult God. But thankfully, the story does not end there. The, the Ark would later return to Israel, and as the Ark is coming back, back to the people, King David has the people sing this psalm. Think of Dagon. He's this worthless idol. Dagon was a statue that looked like a merman. So, it's a giant fish with a man's body stuck together. This worthless idol. And if you go to 1 Samuel chapter 5 we read that the Philistines, after they had stolen the ark, had placed the ark at the feet of Dagon. The very next morning, when they go in to see how Dagon is doing, they notice that the statue had actually fallen over, that Dagon was actually bowing before the ark of the covenant, bowing before God. The Philistines thought, well, this, this must be a mistake. So, they, they prop their statue back up. They go back the next morning. And this time, Dagon is not just fallen over, but he has his head cut off and he has his arms cut off. God killed Dagon. And that's why, in, in the psalm, that this great work that God has done for all the gods of the other peoples are worthless idols. All other gods cower in fear at God's feet. If you look at other translations, they would say all other gods are even non-entities. They're not even real gods. And so the Philistines at this point, they're very afraid. And so they just, they say, get this article of the covenant out of here. And they send it back. The Hebrew word for God is Elohim. The Hebrew word for a worthless idol is Elil. So if you look in verse five, it's actually a, a play on words. It's Elohim, Eliel. What the psalm is saying is, your, your God, it, it might sound like he's real. Allele, that kind of sounds like Elohim. Your God might sound real, but in the end, he's just worthless. He's not the real thing. He's not even worth the metal that he has been cast in. So here we have Israel singing, because of this great work that their God has done, that their God is far stronger, far mightier, far more supreme than all the other gods in the world. All the other gods are fake. All the other gods are made up. Israel sang in this renewal service when their hearts were gripped by the greatness of God. They sang this loud, and and this is just the Old Covenant, this is the Old Testament. These people did not even know Jesus. The Old Covenant is very shadowy, it's very mysterious, we're not always sure quite what God is doing, but even still they sang, and they sang, and they sang, how much more so? Should we as blood-bought Christians? as people who live in the new covenant, as people who see not just shadows, but see the fullness of the gospel of grace. How much more so should we sing every Sunday morning with loud and full voices? We are to sing, we are to sing, and we are to sing. Written in to the fabric of your heart, is the desire to sing whenever you experience greatness. If you haven't heard yet, if you've been living under a rock, there is a very big football game that is going to happen in the state of Michigan next Saturday. And so, we have the University of Michigan Wolverines that are going to play the Michigan State Spartans in football, it's it's a big game. Both teams are undefeated. Both teams are in the top ten. Stakes are high. Bragging rights for the year, which means next Sunday, <laughs> the day after the game, is going to be an interesting Sunday for our church because half of our church, the defeated side, is going to come lamenting Psalm 13: How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? I'll do the other one half. You have the victorious half singing Psalm 18, for his steadfast love endures forever. And so, we are going to be a divided church next Sunday. But, but here, here's the principle we see, especially in college athletics, that, that the one school is going to experience a great victory. And after that victory, they're going to sing their fight song. It, It's just pretty natural. Your team wins, you stick around the stadium, and you sing. Whenever you experience a great victory, you sing. What do we do on the 4th of July as we celebrate our freedom from England? We sing the Star Spangled Banner. What does a country do when an athlete wins gold at the Olympics? You sing your national anthem. It's just part of being human, that that, that written into our souls is that whenever we experience greatness, whenever we experience a great victory, it's just very natural to sing. From C.S. Lewis, he writes, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy, because the praise is not merely an expression, but it completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. You know, singing, it's not just an overflow of what we are experiencing, but it, it's the actual consummation. It, it finishes it. You know, if, if your team wins next week, it's not going to be very fun if you just watch it in a closet, and then you don't sing or don't tell anybody about it. Somehow, praise gets better... When you share it with other people verbally, the the, the louder we sing it, the more it internalizes the greatness of the event. It is the consummation of your delight. There's an argument that when you look at the creation story, that when you compare Genesis chapter 1 to Genesis chapter 2, look look at Genesis chapter 2, it's told like a story. It's pretty straightforward. It's historical. But when you look at Genesis chapter 1, it's more poetic. It's almost musical that God begins creation by singing it into existence. Meaning that singing is woven into the fabric of your soul. The Psalter, which is the book of Psalms, the official hymn book of the church. If you ever want to know, well, what, what kind of worship songs did Jesus sing? Jesus sang the Psalms. It is always a great place to go for picking songs. And when you go through the Psalter, you see that many of the, the songs are joyful, some lamenting, some are even imprecatory, that is, you sing judgment upon your enemies. But the dominant theme of the Psalms is that of Praise. And that should be the dominant theme of most worship services. Ordinarily speaking, Sunday morning, when God calls us by His Word, when God summons us to this covenant renewal service, the dominant theme should be that of praise. Think of the the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, who's the definition of power, the definition of purity, the definition of love. He has been working all of these great acts throughout history, all of which are worthy of our singing. He is the God who parted the Red Sea. He is the God who parted the Jordan River. He he is the God that just through trumpets simply blowing are able to bring down the walls of Jericho, He is the God who defeats army. He is the God who sustains his people through manna from heaven. Everything that God does is great and for you and therefore is worthy of song. He is the God who is above all earthly powers. Dagon submits to him in defeat. All the other religions are the same. He is the God who has sung the world into existence and is still sustaining the world by song. And when we come into the presence of all that he is, praise will rise up in our hearts and we will want to sing. And we know that on this side of the cross, out of all the great things that God has ever done, the Red Sea and the Jordan River and Jericho, out of all that God has ever done, we have seen with clarity The greatest action that God has ever done. That God has not just defeated the other enemy nations, but God has defeated the greatest enemy of all. That through Jesus Christ, death itself has been defeated. And so we should sing. We should sing about Jesus. We should sing about the Jesus who was perfect in his life, to Jesus who did everything that God required in his law, Jesus who was blameless in heart, mind, and soul. There was never a temptation that led Jesus astray, therefore he was qualified to be our perfect substitutionary sacrifice. We should think about this Jesus that was led to a trial. He never did anything wrong, he was perfect in all ways, and yet he sat through this trial and false accusations were hurled at him. His name was mocked, his body was beaten, it was whipped, it was pierced with thorns, and yet, like a lamb that is being led to the slaughter, Jesus kept his mouth shut. We see in the gospel, this great work, the eternal plan of the Father, that is going to be applied to us by the Son, is now being accomplished in the Son, Jesus Christ, the perfect sacrifice, the blameless lamb, on the cross, grasping for breath, bleeding from his limbs. He would utter this great work, the greatest action that God will ever do. It is now finished. So we should sing But all that Jesus has done for us. This plan, this great action that we should sing about is so complete and so final that Jesus rose from the grave. The wages of sin is death, and yet Jesus paid that wage. He paid off the debt of death with such completion that three days after his death, Jesus, on account of justification, would rise from the grave. And he would rise from the grave as a proof that your salvation, God's gracious offer to make you his own, is now complete. The resurrection is the receipt of God's great love for you. Jesus was raised because death had no longer any claim over him. He was raised because sin had been defeated. He was raised because all other powers, including even the power of death, now sits in submission at the feet of Jesus Christ. Out of all that God has done in redemptive history, the greatest work is the work of the gospel. That beginning with a virgin birth, sustained through a flawless life, and completed in his death, resurrection, and ascension, the gospel is the greatest work out of all that God has ever done. And so if these people in Psalm 96, they sang and they sang and they sang because a stupid statue had his head cut off, how much more so should we sing every single Sunday because of the gospel of grace. We ought to be a singing people. I mentioned at the very beginning, beginning of the sermon series that worship, in the biggest picture, is an opportunity for us to escape this mundane life and experience a little slice of heaven. Another place in the Bible where you can go to just see a little bit, it's it's a very confusing book, but just see a little bit for what the new heavens and the new earth will be like and what heaven is currently like would be the book of Revelation. And when you go to Revelation, you see that there is a lot of singing, that the new heavens, the new earth will be a land of song. And what type of songs will we be singing In this age to come, we're going to be singing gospel songs. One of the songs is from Revelation chapter 5. It reads, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, for you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth." Notice in that song, we actually see the three C's. It's a very, very clear song. Nothing about sloppy white kisses or my heart violently churning within me. It's very clear what is happening in the new heavens and new earth. We also see that the song is very Christ centered. This is a hymn to Jesus, the Lamb who was slain. But here's maybe what is the best part. The third C. What, 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 what congregation is invited into this song? You see, that's all people, every tongue, every tribe, every nation, throughout all of time. It's the full congregation that includes every single one of God's people. So when we sing on Sunday morning in worship, we're not just joining together with our brothers and sisters here at Redeemer although that is very important. We are joining with the greater congregation, the church universal, even the church victorious that is in heaven right now. We are joining with them and singing with them. Singing is, it's not just a Christian tradition. It's not just a sentiment. It is certainly not just entertainment. It's a chance to experience the song of heaven to join with the angels, to join with the cherubim, to join with the great sound of all of God's people throughout all of time. So let's sing, let's sing, and let's sing because of all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we do give you thanks for the finished work of your son, Jesus Christ. He is your son, and he is our Lord For all that he has done, we are so very thankful. We know that there is nothing that we can do to repay you for this great gift. But may this great gift impact us in such a deep and profound and even experiential way that we would love to sing. Help us not to be self-conscious. Help us not to be self-consumed. Help us to be so filled with the gospel of grace that we would join with this eternal chorus of the heavens and the church victorious that we might be a singing people. Bless us now, in Jesus' name, amen.